Well, good morning again. Glad that you are with us and uh, glad that you could be here on a rainy, kind of kind of a cloudy, rainy, yucky morning. Uh, excited about next week. Next week we'll be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Uh, we've got some guests coming, some people that have uh, left our church even to move to other areas or coming back. It's kind of a homecoming slash anniversary slash celebration slash 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 slash. So uh, please be here one service next week at 10 o'clock. Uh, you want to be here early. We think we're going to fill up this whole room. We'll have overflow in the north wing and in the foyer. Uh, but if you want a good, good seat, be sure and get here early. One, one service at 10, and then we will uh, have lunch afterwards. And we got a lot of surprises for you, a lot of really exciting things. We're going to take a look backwards at all the wonderful things God has done in the last 10 years at Fellowship of Grace, and then look forward to the next 10, 50, maybe 100 years and, and see uh, just a dream about what God uh, may do. Uh, I want to thank uh, Pastor Kendall again uh, for uh, preaching last week on the end of James chapter 1. I thought about um, really scaring him uh, this morning and having an actual treadmill here and asking him to come and show us what that was really like. But I didn't because I was so fearful. And if you know anything about Pastor Kendall, my fear was he'd actually show us. And I didn't want to see that. And I know you didn't either. So anyway, but thank you, Pastor Kendall, for preaching last week on James chapter 1 and finishing that chapter up for us. We're going to start with James chapter 2. And there's going to be some things today that we talk about that I think are really applicable to your daily life. Uh, James, as we talked about in the introduction, is a very practical chapter. It's probably one of the most practical chapters in the entire Bible. Not that the hall of God's word isn't practical, uh, but it really gets down to really uh, kind of brass tacks and talks about some really specific things. And so we want to look at James chapter 2 this morning, uh, first half of the chapter, and uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, let's see what James says first thing here. He says, uh, show no partiality. He says, don't play favorites, especially based on finances or appearance. He says, don't play favorites, especially based on finances or appearance. Now let's look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Let's read it. Here's what it says. It says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Think about that phrase. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Wow, some pretty strong language in there. Pretty strong language. Now, part of our understanding of this passage is understanding the culture at this time. At this particular time, there were basically two cultures. There was the very, very elite, what people might call the 1% in our culture, and there was everybody else, the poor. There was virtually no middle class. There was virtually nobody in the middle. You were either destitute, pretty, pretty badly poor, or you were incredibly wealthy. And by the way, there was virtually no way 
uh, to move uh, from the poor category to the wealthy category. Uh, there's just no way to do that. You couldn't be an entrepreneur and do well enough uh, to move up uh, to the wealthy category. You were usually born into this, and that's just the way it was. And that's what the understanding of these people's mind was. So when James talks about this, he's just talking about the actual two classes of people, financially, that there were. He says, listen, uh, if, you, if two people come into your church and one of them has a gold ring and he's dressed in fine clothes, he's got on the nice smelling cologne, he's driving the BMW, and a guy next to him, a homeless guy who reeks. If the two of them walk in and you say, hey, BMW guy, sit by me, come up here, sit close to where I am, sit right next to me. Oh, you homeless guy who reeks? Uh, sit over there by the Johnstons. They like that kind of stuff. Okay? What have you done? You have made an incredible distinction among people and in a very bad way. Now, I want to really pay attention to this because there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of confusion in our culture. There's a lot of confusion on the news. And without getting deep in the weeds of everything newsworthy, I want us to really understand this, and I want you to talk about it in your community groups this week. It's interesting that in this passage it says, you have become judges with evil motives. James is saying, listen, when you do this, uh, the problem is you have a black heart. You, you, are, you are doing this in a purely self-serving. We invite the rich, wealthy guy to sit with us and ask the poor person to stay way over there. Now, we all know why. Let's just be honest. Because we'd like to be pals. And we'd like to become friends and talk after the service and go out to eat and maybe he'll pick up the bill and take me to a Chiefs game. And we want to be pals with him, right? James says, wait a minute. That's a, that's a horrible motive. Horrible motive. Who are the people that drag you into the courts and sue you? Is it the poor? Anybody here been, been sued by a homeless person? Probably not. But the wealthy, they'll do. Now listen, these are huge generalities, okay? If you're here and you consider yourself wealthy, don't get all offended, okay? It, it, these are generalities. But what James is saying is, guys, you're making a distinction, but you're making a distinction specifically based on outward appearances and assumptions. You're showing partiality and you're committing a sin and you're showing favoritism on outward appearances and assumptions. Folks, you know why this is wrong? Not just because it's selfish, because it's against the heart of God. When we look at people and we make assumptions about them and we make judgments about them purely on the way things appear and the way things look and the outward appearance and we're ignoring the human heart, we are acting really in a very godless way. Now, I want us to be careful because there are reasons to show uh, uh, discrimination. We should discriminate in some ways. Sometimes discrimination is really uh, uh, better suited for the word wisdom. For instance, do you know our church discriminates? We do. If a person is convicted of a, a sex crime or a child sex crime, they can't work with our children. We discriminate. If somebody has been found guilty of embezzlement, they can't be on our offering counting team. If someone has a felony, they can't be on our safety and security team. 
Listen, we make distinctions all the time, folks, but that's not based on outward appearance and assumptions. That's based on knowledge and character. There is a difference. That's wisdom. Listen, we live in a world that's beginning to tell us, listen, if you make distinctions in any way, shape, or form, you're just a mean, evil, hate, hateful person. Really? So if you have a known drug dealer living next door to you and you refuse to let him babysit your children, somehow you're, you're a hater? No, you're just wise. You're just smart. Okay? So we've got to make sure that we understand the difference here. It's really important to understand this difference. And I'd write this down. Partiality or, or discrimination based on outward appearance and assumptions, those two things, outward appearance and assumptions, is always wrong and it's always sinful. But discriminating based on knowledge and character is wisdom, not true discrimination. I mean, we are discriminating by the, by the actual meaning of the word, do you get, I mean, do you understand the difference here, folks? This is really important. Even Martin Luther King totally understood this principle. When he, in his I Have a Dream speech, he said this, and I quote, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm longing for a day when people aren't discriminated against based on their outward appearance and assumptions about them. But it's interesting that he says, but they will be judged on the content of their character. See, even Martin Luther King was saying, listen, it's right to judge people if you're judging them based on the right things, the content of their character. Now, again, it's what we're, listen, it's what we're judging them about, Okay. If a person comes into this church, no matter what their issue is, if they're coming here to worship God, to hear the gospel, to give their lives to Jesus and see their lives transformed, I don't care what they've done, where they've been, who they've been with, it doesn't matter. They're welcome here. Doesn't always mean we're going to let them watch our kids. Doesn't always mean we're going to let them count the money. But it does mean they're welcome as a part of this body. What if there were a way for all of us to see everything that everybody in this room had ever done? We'd all run screaming into these woods right here and never come out. Wouldn't we? But folks, it's important that we understand this, this principle. There's a pastor named Jeremiah Stepek, and he became the pastor of a church of about 7,000. 7,000 in attendance, had about 10,000 membership. 7,000 usually attended. He became the pastor of this church, and the only people that had met him was the pastor search committee. And so on his very first day as the pastor... He got up very early in the morning, spent some time. Uh, he had, a, I think it was either a cousin or a brother or somebody who was a makeup artist. And they put this really cruddy-looking old beard on him and a wig. And, and they poured alcohol on his clothes. And, and, and they just made him just, he hadn't bathed in a couple of days. He just reeked. His clothes were all tattered and dirty. And he came to church the day he was going to be announced as the new pastor. And he walked in early, and he walked up the aisle of this 7,000-person church, and he sat in the front. And the ushers came and got him. And they asked him if he would please move to the back. Three people the entire morning said hello to him. And at the very end of the service, the elders came up to introduce the new pastor, and they were in on this. 
They introduced their new pastor. They gave his, his resume, talked about how wonderful he was, how excited they were to have him as their pastor, how excited they were about the future of their church. And they announced his name. And he stood up. And he slowly started walking up the aisle. And man, you could have heard a pin drop in that church. He got up to the front and he put his hands on the pulpit and he said, Folks, we got to change. We got to change. Now, listen, you know I love you all. But God help us if our church ever gets to that place. I want to brag on you just for a little bit. I went to a conference this week, and somebody who does a lot of church work, their parents moved to town. And they came here as guests last week. And so, and none of us knew who they were or that they were coming. But I got the, I got the skinny on you guys. I mean, I, I got the real truth. Here's what they said. They'd visited many churches in the area. Ours was the absolute friendliest church they've been in, and it wasn't just the people who were supposed to be friendly. It wasn't just the door greeters. It wasn't just the people handing out bulletins. It wasn't just the pastor at the door. The entire congregation was friendly toward them, knowing nothing about them. That's the kind of reputation I want. Okay? So good job, folks. Good job for you. Okay, see, I'm, I'm, they expect me to do that. So when I do it, it really doesn't count. <laughs> like, well, yeah, he's, he's got to do that. He's a pastor. But when you do it, it really means something to him. But you know what? They look a lot like us. They seem to be a lot like us. They look to be in kind of our, our maybe financial position. They look a lot like us. Folks, we got to make sure that as we grow and people come in these doors that don't look like us, that don't think like us, that aren't quite like us, we still have those open arms to them. And we say, hey, in, in Jesus, we love you. You are welcome here. I was going to uh, actually try that this morning and uh, get myself all messed up and all, but I was afraid nobody would notice and just be terribly embarrassing for me that you, <laughs> some, I don't notice any difference, so I didn't do that. But anyway, uh, you got the story though. And uh, not quite as impactful, but uh, listen, I, just, I want you to talk about this in your community groups this week, okay? How can we make sure that we as individuals and we as a church never begin to show the kind of discrimination and distinctions about people that are on, based on outward appearances? We just need to make sure that we never do that, all right? But it doesn't mean we become fools and we turn over everything we do to everybody. Uh, we have to use some wisdom based on knowledge and character, just as Martin Luther King said. So what else does James talk about here? He talks about first not playing favorites, but then he says this. Every person is either a law keeper or a law breaker. How many of you know for sure right now which one you are? Let me see your hand. Okay, we got some work to do. All right, pay attention. Focus, let's talk. Here's what it says in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you'll become a transgressor of the law. 
What James is saying here, folks, is that theologically, not not based on circumstances or or consequences, if you steal a a, a pencil from the uh, Walmart, you're not going to prison because you murdered someone. The consequences aren't the same. But the fact is what he's saying is, theologically, we are all in one of two categories. Nobody is in both, and nobody is not in one. We are all in one category. We are either law keepers... We are lawbreakers. Now remember, he's talking to a Jewish audience. He's talking to uh, Christian Jews who had embraced the law from their childhood, whose fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers had embraced the Old Testament law. And so he's saying, look, guys, uh, you, you can't be both. Everybody is one or the other. You are either a law keeper or you are a lawbreaker. If you have committed, if you have done one single thing wrong, you're guilty of all of them. Folks, this is just like a, a, a glass of pure water. And, and if we have your glass and my glass, and, and let's say that every uh, drop of poison is a really bad sin, and you've committed eight, and I've committed 22. There they are. They're still both glasses full of poison. We have a tendency to look at each other and go, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm not quite as bad as they are. I'm doing all right fact i'm better than them and them and them and them and them i'm probably in the top 25 percent i'm doing great but folks what james is saying here is really uh, the first part of the gospel he's saying it doesn't matter what part of the law you've broken you're a lawbreaker romans 3:23, all of sin and come short of the glory of god romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, we are all sinners. We are all of a depraved heart and mind. And James is wanting them to understand and us to understand that even though we think we do pretty good at times, even though we think we're pretty good people at times, even though we uh, can not feel guilty about the things we've done at times, the reality is we're all lawbreakers. How many in this room have ever been disobedient to your parents? Raise your hand. Okay? How many of you have ever lied? That's the rest of you. Okay? <laughs> right? And so, and so what, what James is saying here is, look, you've, you've committed them all. All of you have committed adultery. All of you have committed murder. All of you have committed every single thing that there is to break the law because you're lawbreakers. From a theological standpoint, you are either perfect and a law keeper like nobody has been but Jesus, or you're a lawbreaker. And that's the category all of us are in. James wants them to understand that. He wants them to really get the fact that they are lawbreakers, even though they feel pretty good about themselves. Why? Because of the next thing he says. He says, embrace the law of liberty. Embrace the law of liberty. Look what it says in James chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Now, you got to understand, these guys love the law. They love the law. They love to, to try and be obedient to the law. Uh, they love to, to, to practice the law. They love to just try to get better at the law. They love all the stuff about the law, even though they can't keep it. And what James is saying is, hey, guys, you've embraced the law. I want you to embrace a new law uses those terms which they like. Embrace this new law, the law of liberty. 
the law of freedom. The law of freedom? Yeah, freedom from the law. Freedom to no longer be bound by your sin, but have the freedom to be righteous. The freedom from the penalty of your sins through the blood of Jesus. There is a new law in town, and it's not the law that condemns. It's the law that frees the soul. It's the law that no longer judges us. He's trying to get them to understand, guys, I know you love the law, but don't love the old law that condemns. Love the law of liberty, the law of Jesus that provides freedom from our sins. You know, many people think that the Old Testament law was given for the sole purpose of teaching man how to live, teaching mankind how to live, making him be righteous. But that's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to point out man's sinfulness, to point out the fact that man couldn't live up to it. So that when Jesus came on the scene, everybody went, finally, finally, thank you, God. I couldn't live up to the law. My father couldn't live up to the law. My grandfather, my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather, however many greats you want to go back, can't live up to the law. But finally, there's a Savior that takes away the penalty of the law, takes away the guilt of the law, takes away the burden of the law, and provides me freedom in Christ. He's offering that to them. He's trying to tell them, guys, I know you love the law, but embrace the new law. The law that provides freedom for your heart and for your soul. Lastly, here in chapter 2, James says this. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13 says this. It says, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, let's just be honest. We as human beings have a tendency to judge others. We may not want to, we may not mean to, but we have a tendency to do that. James is saying, look, mercy and judgment are in opposition to one another. You can't have one and have the other. If you have one, you cannot have the other. And if you have this one, you cannot have that one. Mercy and judgment are in opposition. Now, while we at times love to get into our little uh, self-righteous attitudes and judge others, let me ask you a question. When you've been caught doing something wrong, what do you want? Judgment or mercy? I'll tell you what I want, mercy. Mercy. When I stand before God someday and I have the opportunity for judgment or mercy, believe me, I'm picking mercy every day of the week and twice on Sunday. But, but James is talking here about, about how we deal with one another. Instead of judging others, why can't we provide mercy to them? We want mercy. We want to be treated with mercy, not only from God, but from each other. Listen, if you, uh, you know, see me doing something bad, you know, I'm driving along the road, somebody pulls out in front of me, and I drive up in front of them, cut them off. You go, oh, my goodness, look what my pastor did. Okay? Even in that moment, I, I want mercy from you, not judgment. We all do. There is a consistent biblical uh, theme running through the New Testament, and that is this. Treat others the way you want to be treated. And even in this particular case, when it comes to mercy and judgment, we should treat others the way we want to be treated. 
What if some situation happened and your deepest, darkest sin was found out? What do you want? Mercy or judgment? We want mercy. We, we, we crave mercy. We love mercy. Why is it that sometimes we give judgment to others and not mercy? Listen, if you do something to offend me, I, I, I want to give you mercy. And if I do something to hurt you, I pray that you'll give me mercy. I'm not saying give people a pass to just continue treating you badly and being a jerk to you all the time. I'm not saying that. But listen, what we're talking about here is, folks, uh, we have a tendency to look at each other and, and make judgments about all kinds of things. And the other point is that, you know, not everybody's on the same spiritual level. We had a, uh, we had a, a, a leadership retreat this weekend for all the leaders here at Fellowship of Grace and and uh, we played a little icebreaker game. And one of the things was uh, to get all the men against the ladies, you know. And so one of, the, one of the things we had to do is line ourselves up in the number of years we've been a Christian. So we did all that. And, and I was at the end of the line. And, and I've been a Christian for, I can't be right. I'm trying to do that. For 42 years. I should be able to master a little bit of it by now, right? But if somebody's here that's only been a Christian for a year... And, and they maybe can't master it at the level that I should be expected to, why would we judge them? I was an idiot when I was 22. I'm not making judgment about anybody who's 22. I'm just saying for me. I was a moron, okay? I'm acting a little different today, hopefully. And so we don't want to judge other people in this kind of situation. We don't make judgments about them, folks. We give them mercy. And so if somebody comes through this door and they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they maybe don't smell like us, they don't hang around with our friends, they don't drive the cars we drive, they don't live in the houses we live in, we should not make judgments on them or about them. We should offer them mercy. We should offer them grace. We chose the name of this church for a very specific reason. Oh, we could have called it Fellowship of Discouragement, Fellowship of Judgment. But, but we wanted to have a fellowship where grace abounds. In this passage where it says mercy triumphs over judgment, it's, it's a picture of mercy and judgment fighting one another, duking it out in the ring. Who's going to win? What's better, mercy or judgment? Mercy wins every time. Mercy's better than judgment. It triumphs over judgment. It overcomes judgment. And so let's offer mercy to one another and to everybody who comes through these doors. That doesn't mean we don't expect certain things about people, but, but guys, I, we just have to uh, uh, make sure that we stay at this level. Now, I want to I tell you, uh, now see, I'm having like a senior moment right here, right? I know I told this story at least once this morning. I may have told it again. Did I tell you about the people I met this week at the uh, conference I was at in this service? Okay, good. Well, then I don't want to brag about you again. I, doing two services, I'm like, did I do it once or did I do it twice? I don't remember. So anyway, but folks, that's the thing we got to keep doing. we got to keep being that kind of a church to people. And we need to be that kind of individuals to people where we make people feel welcome because that's what we want to feel. We exemplify Christ to them. We reflect Christ. For those of us who have given our lives to Christ, those of us who have understood that we are sinners, understood that we can't do anything about our own sin, 
that have understood that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and we've put our faith and our trust in what he did on the cross and have been born again, folks, we just, we just need to live up to the calling that God has called us to and treat one another with mercy and grace. I hope that in your community groups this week, you'll talk about these things. You'll talk about how you can uh, uh, maybe master mercy a little better uh, and, and judge less. And you'll talk about the difference uh, between uh, discrimination based on outward appearances and assumptions, which is always sinful, always evil, and, and, and wisdom, which is based on knowledge and character. Talk about these things. Talk about how to uh, master them better and how to grow in them. And then even talk about the law of liberty and the fact that, that Christ, by dying on the cross, has given us freedom, folks. He's given us freedom from all that pile of sin that we have committed and all of the guilt that goes with it, and all of the shame that goes with it. And he's offering us freedom, freedom, liberty. Let's embrace that liberty and live in it and enjoy it. It's like basking in the sun on the Lido deck. You know, it's just, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that has so clearly uh, shown us uh, that it's evil and wrong and sinful. Uh, to judge people with wrong motives, with evil motives. It's sinful to discriminate based on outward appearances and finances and assumptions that we make. Uh, God, help us to find that, that clear balance where we are wise about who to trust our, our, our children to, our money to, our, our lives to, and yet we don't discriminate based on the things that are sinful. God, help us to live in the law of liberty and enjoy it, to really just uh, be thrilled with the liberty and the freedom you give over death, hell, and the grave in our own sin. Father, help us to enjoy that and just enjoy our relationship with you. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, God, I pray that you will uh, just pound on their heart today, that you will not let them uh, rest uh, until they talk with someone and until they give their life to you. Father, we thank you for loving us and showing us your mercy and your grace so incredibly. Help us to be a reflection of you to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.